Well, that really is all, trusting Jesus. But sometimes it's not easy to do, is it? Um, he wants us to trust Him. and But so often, I want to fight against that. How about you? But He teaches us. He helps us. He helps us to live by faith. But isn't it good to have a God who says, Lean on me. Give your burdens to me. You can trust me. Hey, you know who's Lord of America tonight? Jesus is. Do you believe that? Jesus Christ is Lord of America. Now, there's not, not everybody in America is um, happy with that <laughs> or would even say they're in agreement with that, but that doesn't matter. That uh, we hope those people will come to the realization that, of the fact that Jesus is Lord. And one day, well, we hope they will before they perish or before they die, before all have to bow the knee. Because one day we do still believe, don't we, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue one day is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. And isn't it good to know, as the old song says, that we really are on the winning side, no matter what things might look like. Now, Jesus is Lord, so that means Jesus can do whatever he wants to do with America, right? Um... If America repents, if God's people will pray, humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, we have some precious promises, don't we? And I fully believe, I believe with all my heart, that if the people of God will stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ in America, God will do wonders. I believe the Lord loves this country. I, he, he's the one who thought of it. I believe that. He's the one who led men to, 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 to uh, come here. And I, I, I believe the Lord loves Japan. Do you? I believe the Lord loves Taiwan. Uh, they all belong to him. They belong to Jesus Christ. He's the master. He's the Lord of it all. And may we continue to pray for our country, to pray that, that God will help us to do our part, that he will raise up godly leaders, and that, uh, that this, this country will go on, that it'll just be a, more and more of a testimony of what God can do through a people who are free and who freely choose to rise up against evil and stand up, even in the face of seeing what seems like impossibilities. Isn't that what America's kind of been known for for the last 200 and some years? And, uh, but we need, some, we need some courageous people, don't we? We have all along. We need some courageous Christians, Christ followers, to stand up and say, enough, enough. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And let's go for it. We need some young people who will have some boldness, don't we? Who will have some fire behind them and who will stand up for Christ. Well, <clears throat> Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 is where we are in our series in Mark. And that goes along a little bit with what we're going to be talking about tonight in Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> I apologize ahead of time for my voice. I'm <clears throat> struggling with this cold that it seems like half the county has or had, but um, <clears throat> Mark chapter 8, and we're going to begin reading with verse 27. Mark 8, beginning with verse 27 is where we are. Mark eight twenty-seven. the Bible says, <clears throat> and Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and by the way... As they were going there, he asked his disciples, saying <clears throat> unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. 
But some say Elias or Elijah. And others, well, he's one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Now many believe verse 1 of chapter 9 should have been included at the end of chapter 8. Let's just go ahead and read it. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. In this passage, we suddenly have, if you're studying through these Gospels, this is what we're doing here, at this point in the Gospel of Mark, we suddenly have an emphasis change in the teaching of Jesus. The overall emphasis of the first part of the ministry of Jesus is Jesus declaring and showing himself to be the Messiah. He's doing the miracles. He's pu- it's a public ministry. Uh, many people are watching these things. He's bringing men and women to understand this in fulfillment of prophecy of the Old Testament. Now, there's a shift. There's a change. He's going to show that the Messiah, and this is, again, we have to put ourselves in our minds, if we're going to fully understand this, in the minds of the people of the day. We are so familiar. We're so familiar with the terms of the Bible and the stories of the Bible that we forget that, that when he starts talking about dying, being killed, suffering, what? It doesn't make sense, especially in the context of what he had just said before it. And we'll look at that here in a second. But that Messiah is going to go by the way of suffering and death and by the way of the cross to his crowning. What? <laughs> that doesn't make sense humanly, does it? You don't, you don't suffer and go by the way of a cross. And again, the cross, we hang one in our churches, and, and we do rightly so to remember the, um, 
the sacrifice of Christ. But if you were to go into a religious institution in the day of Jesus, you wouldn't see that hanging on a wall. That'd be like us coming in here tomorrow and seeing an electric chair hanging on the wall. That's what, that, that would be the, about the equivalent of that. That's an instrument of torture. A Messiah, Christ, a, a Savior of the nation is going to... What's that? That doesn't even make any sense. This is, the, this is the emphasis now. It's changing. What's going on? Those now who were familiar with the Old Testament and honest with it would have known that the prophecies did speak of these two aspects of the Messiah. That there were these, this inclusion that was all you know, foggy and, and how, what is this? Um, the prophets spoke of a coming ruler, a Messiah, who would conquer the nations, right? Who would be the one who we were all waiting for, and yet a Messiah who would be like a lamb going to the slaughter? How does that make any sense? You know, it's the way God works. And we do simply trust Him. Simply trust Him. I don't know how this is going to work, but Lord, this is what you said. And in the end, He'll be right. And the truth will be known, and it'll all be, oh, okay. That's the way God works. We trust Him. So, but what could this possibly mean? But they were confused. How was it all going to work out? There, you know, there were even some, it's believed, you study the history, the writings, some even declared that there were going to be two messiahs. One was going to be a suffering messiah, and another one was going to be a glorious coming king messiah. They were trying, again, trying to put all this together, trying to figure it out. Well, that's what's happening. That's the shift. That's the change in the teaching of Jesus. And we'll see that again in a second. But Jesus presents a question in verses 27 and, 20, and, and 28. As Jesus and his disciples are traveling down a road um, into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, as they're coming through by the wayside, it seems like Jesus here suddenly stops. He halts. I can imagine he probably did this quite a bit. And he gathers his people around him, and he asks this question. Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? Obviously, Jesus already knows these things, but as in everything else that he's doing, as we're seeing continuously, he is teaching. He's teaching his people. He's teaching his disciples. Um. And he's leading in this question to the next question. Jesus looks like an ordinary man of the day. He doesn't appear to be anything special physically. And the Old Testament prophets told us that that would happen. We, let me read you uh, Isaiah 53 um, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He, has an <clears throat> excuse me. he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In verse 29, <clears throat> after the answers were given, Jesus says, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, John the Baptist, Elijah, others, one of the prophets. He then asked them another question. But whom say ye that I am? Who do you say? That I am. He's looking for a certain answer. Have you ever been a teacher or you've been in a class and the, cl the teacher asks a question and they're looking for a certain answer? They want a certain answer and you give an answer and that may be close. That's a good answer. Teachers say that all the time, right? Well, that's a good answer. 
good job, good thinking. But, but I'm looking for a certain answer. What's the answer that he's looking for? Who do you say that I am? And so <clears throat> he asked this question, and then, of course, we know Peter gives the great confession, his confession of faith in who Jesus actually is. Now, again, I want to try to point this out a little bit tonight, that it's so easy to miss what Peter actually says here, because we're so familiar, so familiar with it. What does Peter say? He says something unbelievable in the ears of the people of that day. Thou art who? The Christ. You, Jesus, who doesn't look anything different from the rest of us ordinary people around here in Judea and in some... You, you Jesus, who grew up over here in um, Nazareth, and we know your parents <laughs> and your brothers and your sisters, you are the Christ. Wow. What the, exactly was Peter saying? And by the way, the teacher got the answer he wanted. That was the answer Jesus was looking for. Because if Peter had been wrong, the teacher would have looked at Peter and said, no, wait, wait, wait. I appreciate your loyalty, Peter, right? I appreciate your, your spirit, your heart, but you're mistaken. No, Jesus accepted it. And Jesus says, what does he say? Well, not in this passage, but in other, pass other gospels, these accounts, flesh and blood hasn't revealed these things to you, Peter, but my Father, which is in heaven, is the one who has revealed this to you. Isn't it something here? Now, what is exactly... Well, let me get back to it. First of all, is not this the vital question that Jesus asks? Even the vital question for today? Whom do men say that I am? Whom do men say that I am? Well, let's think about that today. Who do men say that he is? Well, we could almost go back to the list that they gave, couldn't we? <laughs> well, he's a good prophet. Well, he's a, he's a good prophet. Well, now they may not say he was John the Baptist or Elijah, but it's the same, same human nature, isn't it? Same, same kind of answers. He's a good man. And then who do you say that Jesus is? Jesus, and we talked about this a little bit in, in teen class this morning. We, last Sunday, we spoke on how Jesus is the bread. He's the bread of life that comes down from heaven. And, and boy, the Old Testament illustrations, we can see that. He's the bread of life. Jesus is the light. That's another thing that he calls himself in the Bible, that the Bible calls him. Jesus is the light of the world. And there is no other light in the world. If there's going to be light in the world, it has to be Jesus. And of course, you understand when we say light, just like when he said bread, we're talking about understanding. We're talking about light. We're talking about wisdom. We're talking about direction. We're talking about truth. And if there's going to be any wisdom and any truth and any understanding and any light, it's going to be Jesus or it's going to be darkness. That's who Jesus is. Whom do men say that I am? Well, Jesus is the truth. He's the life. He's the light. Um, Jesus is not a light. He's the light. I am a light of the world? No. I am exclusively, 100%, solely and completely and only, the only light of the world. This is who Jesus is. What world, by the way? What world? The entire, the entire world that we are living on tonight, right? This world. 
we're not talking about some otherworldly place. We need to remind ourselves of these things, don't we? We're not talking about fairy tales. We're not talking about another planet, another time, or Middle Earth, or anything like that. <laughs> we're talking about this world. Jesus is Lord of this world, and he is the light of this world. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> All the world needs Jesus as their light. And you don't just tack Jesus on whatever else that you want to believe. You know, there are some missionaries who have the struggle of this uh, problem, that they've, they've heard different things, that they've, things that they've always believed growing up, and then they hear about Jesus, and they'll tack him on to the other things that they believe. That's not what you do with Jesus. Jesus is the sole Savior. He's the sole Son of God. He's the only light in the world. Jesus alone. You don't bring Jesus along, as the bumper sticker says, as your co-pilot. He's not co-pilot. He's pilot. He's creator. He's Lord. He's master. And as another bumper sticker says, you don't give him a try. Give Jesus a try. Have you seen that one? Oh, no, no. It's more than just giving Jesus a try. You bow your knee, and you make him Lord, and you make him master. That's who he is. That's who Jesus is. You don't follow the world and follow Jesus at the same time. Whom do men say that I am? Well, many men today want to say, well, yeah, Jesus is Lord, but, but allegiances, are, <laughs> allegiances are everywhere. You cannot serve God and mammon, he said. On your country music album, I hope I don't offend anybody here, but you don't sing one song about his amazing grace going to church on Sunday and the next song about boozing around town with girls hanging on each arm, cheating on your wife. That's not Jesus. That's not the true Jesus. Amen? Whom do men say that I am? He is the bread of life come down from heaven. He is the water of life for whom everyone is thirsty for. Everyone. He is, he is the only way, the only door that leads to the Father. And there is none other. He is the only Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And there's no other way. Jesus Christ is the true light of the world. The light that this entire creation, this world, was made for. Again, we talked about this some in teen class this morning. He's the light that the world was made for. You can think of that in when he says, I am the light of the world. He, he, he belongs here. Jesus Christ made it. He's the light. He was the one walking in the garden with the Adam and Eve. What will, and when Jesus comes, he's not coming as a foreigner. We get these things mixed up in our minds sometimes, right? Jesus is coming as the one who owns it. The one who created it. The one who made it. What came as the foreigner? Sin. When sin came into the Garden of Eden, it was the foreigner. It was the darkness. It was the thing that wasn't supposed to be here. Now, we're used to all this sin, aren't we? But when Jesus came, he came as the light of the world. He belongs here. The world was made by him, created by him, yet the world didn't even know him when he came. Because men love darkness rather than light. <clears throat> That's who Jesus is. He exposes what is truly foreign in the world and how ugly sin becomes when he does that. Without Jesus Christ, and here's what we're trying to say, kind of in a nutshell, with him being the light, with who he is, whom do men say that I am? Without him, 
You are not seeing clearly. You're not thinking clearly if you don't start with Jesus Christ. You're not reasoning clearly. He gives all truth, all understanding, all wisdom, all direction, all true truth is in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ alone. Peter, when he confesses that he is the Messiah, that he is the one, that is what he is saying. The one we have all been waiting for and looking for. Peter confesses Jesus as supreme. That word Christ, again, it's easy for us to kind of, we just kind of tack that onto the end of Jesus' name. And it, we almost look at it sometimes like it's his last name, Jesus Christ. It's like, you know, Steve Hall, um, Mark Zimmerman, Jesus Christ. Oh, no. What a mistake that is. Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title. And when Peter says, you are the Christ, he is declaring something. He is saying something really big with that confession of faith. That is the Greek form of the word Messiah or anointed one. It is a title and what a title it is. It marks the eternal son of God. When he said you are the Christ, he said you are the eternal son of God that we've all been waiting for. It is the title of the office, someone said, the office of supremacy. It is the title of the office of supremacy. It is the title, Christ, is the title of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is the title of the one who would make his business to ransom mankind. It is the title of the one who was going to bring in the everlasting kingdom of God. Peter says, you are The Christ, now get it, and Jesus accepted the title. Jesus accepted it. It's the answer he was looking for. Yes, I am. He's not John the Baptist. He's not Elijah. He's not Jeremiah. He's not just a great prophet or another prophet. Jesus, someone said this, and I thought this was so good. Jesus is not one who's looking for another. Jesus is not one who's looking for another. He is the another. He is the one everyone's looking for and had been looking for up to that point. That's what Peter says when he says, you are the Christ. Jesus is the other for whom all have looked and are looking. All before him were looking for another. Remember what Moses said? That one day there's going to rise up a prophet like unto me. Hear him. Listen to him. Looking for another. Remember what John the Baptist said? Oh, don't bow down to me. There's one coming after me whose shoelaces I'm not even worthy to stoop down and tie or loosen. One's coming. One's coming. This is all through the Bible. The prophets foretold of one who's coming. One who's coming. He's coming. And when Jesus came, he wasn't looking for one who's coming. He was the one. And when Peter says, when Jesus says, whom do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. That's what he was saying. You're the one. You're the one who's not looking for another. Messiah, anointed king, anointed priest. 
He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord and Master. Another vital question tonight that we can ask ourselves and, and even each other. Who do you say that you are? You know, that's something that we need to come to terms with as well in this gospel message. And whom, whom do men say that I am, Jesus said. But here's another question tonight. Who do you say that you are? You know, we must see ourselves clearly. We must see ourselves clearly before we can appreciate what Jesus has done for us. Is that true? That takes us to verse 31 of our passage. After the questions were asked, after Peter's great confession, and he charges that they should tell no man, Verse 31, and he begins now to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. What? Now, do you see how this is just like, I, I can't imagine. This is, this is hard enough for people today to understand. And, and the Holy Spirit, you know, we, we know the Holy Spirit draws men to Christ. We, we understand that. But mentally, can you imagine? Put yourself in these people, in, in, in Peter's shoes back in that day. And, and think about it. As, as the Lord has just accepted the word Peter said that he's the Christ. This one who was coming. This one who's not looking for another. This one who's supreme leader. Supreme leader. And now Jesus turns around and immediately says that he's going to go to the cross and die and suffer. I can imagine the confusion, Right? In the minds of some of these men, what, what is this all about? He began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer. A new note in his teaching has begun. He's suddenly clearly teaching them this that he's only alluded to in the past. Never before had he talked of his coming cross or suffering. He'd never before spoken of the resurrection or after the cross. And this teaching all began clearly began here, openly began here, suddenly becomes the major theme of his teaching, the cross, cross. Again, imagine the confusion. In verse 32, because of these shocking statements, Peter takes Jesus, and can you imagine, begins to rebuke Jesus, begins to rebuke the Lord. Of course, it's done out of a heart of love, right? But it just shows he doesn't understand. Who do you say that you are? Who do I say that I am? You know, Peter had to come to the realization that he needed a Savior in a way that he didn't understand he needed a Savior. Why did this Messiah have to come and die? Why did this Messiah have to come and suffer? Why is the the crown going to have to come through a cross? Because we have to see ourselves for who we are. And we have to see Him for who He is. And we're never really going to appreciate who he is and who this Christ is and what he's done until we see ourselves for who we are, wicked, vile sinners in need, desperately in need of a Savior. And that's what Peter's going to have to deal with and Peter's going to have to realize and the message that Peter's going to be preaching not too many days from now. Peter takes Jesus and begins to rebuke him. Though he had just confessed Jesus as the great Messiah, he did not understand, and this is key, he did not understand the plan of God. He didn't get it, at least not yet. He didn't understand what God is doing. Can you imagine anybody not understanding what God's doing? But boy, he didn't. 
He didn't. It's easy for us to look back and say, Peter, 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 what's wrong with you? But we're the same way, aren't we? We're the same way. You know, aren't you glad God's patient, kind, and good to us? Well, Jesus teaches. He rebukes Peter, of course. We won't get into all that again. But, you know, let's, let's wrap this up here. Jesus rebukes Peter. He tells him that he's not exercising his mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And then Jesus teaches on the necessity of the cross in the lives of all who will follow him, picking up their cross, bearing their cross, and following him. The things of God are never the things of men. The ways of God are never the ways of men. The ways of men are always opposed to the things of God. The kingdom of God, you mean the kingdom of God is not going to come through an army of dedicated warriors fighting for the king, but it's going to come through a cross? You mean it's not going to come through the glorious presentation of a conquering Messiah being paraded through the streets with banners unfurled, but through the cross? You mean the disciples of Jesus Christ are not going to take up their swords? And follow Messiah, but they're going to take up their electric chairs? Their instruments of torture? Their cross? And follow the Messiah? Again, how hard it must have been for those first disciples to begin to understand these things that God was doing. Isn't it such a privilege in these things to be where we are and to be able to look at it and look back and say, wow, <laughs> look what God... Doesn't that give you faith for, for what God's doing today and help us to have faith in Him that He does know, He does have a plan, He knows what He's doing? It's been said that the kingdom... I, I, I know I've said this before. Someone said that the kingdom of God advances through a series of glorious victories cleverly disguised as disasters. The kingdom of God advances through a series of glorious victories cleverly disguised as disasters. This seems to be how God works. Nowhere is it more apparent than in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Right? Greatest tragedy, greatest disaster in human history. And yet, they didn't know it, but the greatest victory ever. The center of history. How do we know that they they didn't know? That the evil one would never have crucified the Messiah had he known what was actually happening that day. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What looked like the greatest disaster turned out to be the greatest victory. And this is how Jesus works. This is how God works. God's strategy was completely incomprehensible in the first century. Although we see the purpose of it now, of course. And this has been the way it has been throughout church history, if you study church history. And when all seems hopeless, after the fact, we see what God is doing. But how we often still complain. What's he doing now? Now it all seems hopeless. It's never hopeless. It's never hopeless. As long as Jesus is Lord, as long as Jesus is Messiah. 
Jesus is always victorious. Jesus is always victorious. He truly is the Christ. He really is the Messiah. You may say, well, this teaching of Jesus sure doesn't seem to end in victory as he's talking to them about his coming death and he's going to be killed. Oh, but wait. What does he say in verse 31 again? He's teaching them that he's, he's going to suffer and he's going to be killed. And after three days, what's it say? Rise again. Rise again. That's victory. It doesn't end with his death. He's a living Savior. We serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. That doesn't sound very victorious. What's the rest of it say? But whosoever shall lose his life, Jesus says, for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. That's victory through a cross. So the question tonight, who do you say that Jesus is? Whom do men say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? Who do I say Jesus is? And I don't mean, what would you say if someone were to bring a microphone up to you right now and say, who is Jesus? And you would give a verbal answer, kind of like I'm doing here tonight. That's not what I mean. I mean, what does your life say? Because that's where we really find out what we actually mean, right? What we actually do believe. What does our lives say about who Jesus is? What are we living for tonight? Where and what is our treasure? Because that's where our heart is, the Lord taught us. What are our goals in life? Does it have anything to do with the one who's not looking for another? Does it have anything to do with the Master, the Lord, the Savior, Jesus Christ? What is it all wrapped up in? What forms our opinions in this world and in this life? What place does Jesus the Christ have in my life tonight and in your life tonight? Who do you say, not just with our lips, but with our life, who Jesus is? Is Jesus Lord? That's the question. Children, this is for you tonight. Teenagers, men and women, assistant pastor, is Jesus truly Lord tonight? This is probably going to be my last message. I don't think I'm going to be able to speak next Sunday night mainly because I'm going to be probably an emotional wreck after hugging all you all and telling you bye. <clears throat> but um, we're also going to do a lot of music next Sunday. And, but, so this probably will be uh, the, my last message. In the middle of our living room, <laughs> sorry, there's a number of boxes sitting ready to go on a moving truck. My kids can testify. We got boxes and crates everywhere. And I'll be very open and honest with you tonight. There have been times that my wife and I 
have looked at each other and said, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? We, that stack of boxes the other day was sitting there. And again, we were both looking at each other. We were wore out. You know, it's hot, whatever. And that came up again. You know, wow. We sure we know what we're doing. Anyhow, long story short, we both came to the conclusion those boxes are sitting in that living room. At least this is our heart. Because Jesus is Lord. You hear me tonight? Because Jesus is Lord. Now, we can all make mistakes, right? Maybe one day I'll find out that we took a wrong turn. But as I was talking to someone this morning who was sharing with me the same kind of thing, that, you know, you make decisions in life and you sometimes you wonder, you worry about it, right? Lord, am I, are we doing the right thing? Are we making the right choice? Are we going the right way? And, and But you know what we talked about this morning? And actually, I'll tell you who it was. It was Sandy Berkey and I. Here's the truth. God knows your heart, right? He knows your heart. And he knows that you want to make the right decision. And the, the um, confidence in that is that he's not going to let you go astray if your heart is right with him. Those boxes sit in the living room tonight because Jesus is Lord. I never would have dreamed that in 2019 I'd be standing here preaching my last message to you. Never would have dreamed it. But all of us, wherever he directs, however he leads, whichever way at least we think, right? We believe that he's leading us, he's guiding us, he's directing us. The future, I don't know. All the details, I don't know. But Jesus is Lord today. And this is what he's telling us today. So we will follow him. And we'll walk worthy of the Lord, as the chorus says that we've been singing. That we will trust him. That he's going to bear fruit. Jesus Christ, listen to me. Valley Baptist Church is going to move forward in the days ahead. In the days ahead. You know why? Because Jesus is Lord. As long as Valley Baptist Church keeps Jesus as Lord, right? Truly, then Valley Baptist Church is going to be fine. The Steve Hall family is going to be fine as long as Jesus is Lord in the Steve Hall family. And we could go on and on. Put your family in there. Put your name in there. Jesus is Lord. Let's, as verse 34 says, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And wherever he leads us, he's always victorious. He's going to work. He's going to work. Because Jesus is Lord. The question tonight is, is he Lord in your life? Is he Lord in my life? Lord... We thank you for your blessing.